Topsy-turvy, I'd say, week in rugby. We've had the Lions games against the Springboks start. We've had pretty thin pickings on the international front, but we've had international rugby. So to uh, help us dissect that and learn a bit about it is uh, Dave Edwards from the Have a Go slash Have a Gold podcast. He'll be joining us later on. But first, Wendell, I think we should uh, jump into the meat pie of this podcast, and that's going to be the Lions and Springboks game. Yeah, hello, Errol. It's um, certainly not been one of the biggest weeks on the rugby scene, uh, really, other than the the Lions and the Olympics. There hasn't been a heap going on. A little bit of Quade Cooper news, which would be good to talk about as well. But, um, yeah, as you said, lucky we had some uh, some Olympics because the 15s code dropped the ball a little bit. Not a lot of games on, so it's good that the 7s code's been on. Um, certainly been a bit more exciting than that Lions game that you want to talk about first up. That was a slog. That was a real slog on Sunday night over there in South Africa. Yeah, well, they're two teams that have built their base around, you know, their forwards. But they do have some talent in the back line, obviously being, you know, World Cup champions and, mm. and uh, an amalgamation of some of the strongest teams in world rugby. But this contest, while it wasn't very pretty, it, it was a real showcase of, of technical mm. rugby in that both teams were trying so hard to build momentum from the forward base. And I just, it just wasn't working for either of them all the time. Like, there were some real, like, flush in the pan stuff but you know as you said it was a very tough slog yeah it was very northern hemisphere uh yeah. as well as you pointed out real forward dominance i don't think the likes of cheslin colby actually touched the ball in open space until like the 60th minute same with mpimpi on the other wing you know we've had all these games the lions haven't kicked a single penalty until the game against South Africa A. They've just been running in tries for fun. They look like they were playing Kiwi rugby, Argentinian rugby, Southern Hemisphere rugby, something a little bit exciting. Every 12 years, these guys play each other, and then they turn up, and then they put up this kind of kick to the corner, kick the ball away. For the first 10 minutes, they're just kicking the ball away. No one wanted the ball because they don't want to concede penalties. And I understand that's the way the game is now, but... It doesn't make for great viewing, certainly not for a Wallabies slash Southern Hemisphere rugby fan in myself. Yeah, I don't think that you get too much, you know, rugby with panache from Northern Hemisphere teams when there's a lot on the line. Mm. Like, as we did see with the Lions playing the uh, provincial teams, that they really tended to put them to the sword via tries. Mm. But, um, look, I think uh, when there's a lot at stake for these Northern Hemisphere teams, they don't like to play rugby that you know can be interpreted as being risky or Mm. dangerous you know high risk high reward type stuff Mm. i had a few friends say that to me as well and i was just thinking to myself what's the point like what is the point of winning when you win like that you know like fuck rugby off why don't we just have a crossfit competition why don't we just see who can do the most bench (laughs) press who can do the most pull-ups and sit-ups and all that sort of stuff fuck the balls off we don't need balls we don't need to do passing any of that sort of stuff we just do strength endurance grit all that sort of stuff because, you know, you got guys, as I said, Mapimpi and Colby, two of the most electric backs in the world. Yeah. 
touched the ball like four times in the whole game. When they did touch the ball, they were setting up tries. But apart from that, they just didn't really touch the ball. Uh, it's yeah, the win at all cost mentality. I understand it, but sometimes as a viewer, I sit here and I just go, "What's the point? What, what is the point yeah, when you win?" Let's see. I was crying out. I was screaming at the television in the middle of the night. Poor neighbours. But uh, when teams that have players like uh, your Faf de Quirks and stuff like that, when you starve them of ball, they can still play such a good game. But but you can see that they're just being wasted. They're players that can turn a match on its head in mm. two seconds. And yeah. they just, it is impossible for them to do that if they do not have ball. Yeah, when all Faf de Klerk is doing is just box kicking or shoveling it out of the pocket for a 10 to just clear. But um, I saw him trying to start a couple of fights there against Mario Otoji, arguably the biggest man on the field there. Um, <laughs> fuck, imagine Faf de Klerk if they brought the tour to Australia and he got a few rums into him. He seems like he's the punchiest little halfback in the world. I know all halfbacks are punchy and lippy, but he seems like the lippiest and the punchiest of them all. But he does look like uh, the type of player that can take a few punches. Like mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if when you're fighting someone like Faf, um, especially on the, on the runs, the more you punch him, the, the more enjoyment he gets out of your interaction. Mm-hmm. And I think he's one of those people that is you know kind of wired a bit different. This isn't a game that you can play if you're terrified of being hurt. I mm-hmm. mean, like a punch in the face is just a punch in the face. Yeah. I mean, as long as you know they're not looking to knock you out, you know, a punch in the face is only going to stir you up. Mm-hmm. Well, it can inspire two different responses in rugby players. Someone punches you flat in the face, you either punch him back or you do what a French player might do and collapse onto the ground and yeah. hold your face like you're in the 1998 World Cup final playing uh, <laughs> Italy, I think it was. But, yeah, yeah. But, like you've been you hit know. across the head with a shovel out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. You know, I suppose you can't be too kind of one-sided on that because I don't know what I would do if I was absolutely broadsided by Karabetti, but you know, that's, uh, that's just me. Yeah, I'm dead certain that the next game is going to be more of a, a showcase of running rugby, more Southern Hemisphere influences yeah. in it. You know, because when you're playing in Southern Hemisphere fields, the fields reward you. Mm-hmm. The spirits that live within these, you know, rugby coliseums south of the equator, they will reward you for showing bravery on the rugby field. And they will punish you for desecrating them. I think that's fair to oh, say as well. Mate, there is nothing worse than a trialless game that mm. 23 to 26. You're asking for the universe to just open up a big sinkhole and then just that's yeah. the end of it. So maybe maybe we should play a trialless Northern Hemisphere game on the SCG and then we can start from scratch. Or maybe we should just, in the Southern Hemisphere, not have any goalposts. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, interesting. That could um yeah. definitely could work too, Errol. But yeah, you're right. There yeah. wasn't heaps wasn't heaps of dissecting this game. I'll tell you what, if there wasn't any goalposts, the score would be a lot easier for props like Matt Dunning to keep track of. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Multiples of five. Mate, anyone can do their five times tables. Mm. Just before we get into it, we should address the resurrection of Australian rugby's favourite Kiwi. Oh, the great man himself. The story that a lot of people have been excited about. Quade Cooper, he's back. He's back in the Wallabies squad at the ripe old age of 31, I think. Still got plenty to give, he reckons. Plenty. 
plenty to give. Where where do you Mate, sit on? He's got on... so much experience. Yeah, oh, for sure. He, and he's got experience playing the All Blacks, and he'll be better for some of he those does. experiences. And he's not afraid of giving it to the All Blacks, as we've mentioned on this podcast plenty of times before. No, no, he's not, and that's what we love about him. But mm. in terms of his role, possibly in the first Bledisloe look, I'd like to see him come in off the bench. Yes, yeah, look, yeah, certainly. Because this first game is going to be pretty brutal. I think yeah. it's going to be a real combination of our new and improved tight five, which yep. is just, you know, the best it's been for mm. 10 or 15 years. Yeah. They're really going to have to, you know, knuckle down and really get to know these Kiwis. Yes, you know, the big boys are going to have to let play. The Kiwis are the real, you know, in terms of Southern Hemisphere rugby, the Kiwi scrum is just absolutely airtight, watertight. Mm. Yeah, it hits different at Bledisloe level. Yeah, realistically, I think that's kind of how it'll play out. You know, um, we'll forget about the other tens in the squad. We'll just bring Quaid in on the bench for the first game there at Eden Park. Bring him on when we've got a you know a handy ten to twelve point lead against the All Blacks there at Eden Park. Quaid comes on, just steadies a ship, kicks a couple of penalty goals, gets us over the line. We win the first one at Eden Park. We don't head down to Wellington because they're talking about getting rid of that game because Beervana is on at the same time that they want to schedule it at, at Wellington and the Kiwis have said, nah, we're going the twoies. <laughs> we're not putting a Bledisloe Cup game on. We've got Beervana to have. So that'll yep. get moved back to Eden Park. So then we'll have that second game at Eden Park. It'll just be rinse and repeat. Uh, maybe a little bit tighter because it'll be everything to play for there for the Kiwis. Then we go 2-0 up in the Bledisloe. We win it. We head back home to Perth to do the sweep. And at Perth Airport, Karen Andrews turns up. She hands Quade Cooper that piece of paper and says, congratulations, you are now a citizen of Australia. And the fairy tale's complete. Yeah. I think winning, you know, two Bledisloe Cups back-to-back at Eden Park, you know, wishful thinking. And I'm very proud that, you know, you have this young optimism in that way. But look, it's been 20 long years. The world's gone to shit since, you know, we lost the Bledisloe Cup. The Twin Towers came down. Everything's been bad. But, you know, look, it just feels different in the stars. Mm. A new era. we got the South China Sea to get involved in, uh, the Bledisloe to win back, and as we've prophesied for quite some time, Kiwi rugby is on the decline. It's on the massive decline, and I think that the world is better for it, and I simply can't wait until this first Bledisloe game. It's just, just going to be unbelievable. I'm very much looking forward to that. It should be a couple of weeks away. There's potential yeah. date changes they're looking at because of... Uh, what's happened down there in Sydney and subsequently yep. spread into the rest of the nation. So put a row of tanks on every arterial road out of that yeah. place. And if anyone wants to fucking run the gauntlet, clickety clack through the chin, through the nose, through the forehead, an F-88 on burst mode. There you go. Nice. Brap, brap. Sorts that out. Brap. Anyway, something to consider, but we've got Dave Edwards hopping into the booth with us now. We're going to talk about some Olympic yep. stuff. Um, so we'll... And some rugby nostalgia that, you know, people in the rugby community like to talk about, like things will never be as good. Well, guess fucking what? They're better than they were back then. So <laughs> Yeah, Dave uh, from the Have A Go slash Have A Gold podcast has taken time out of his busy schedule from uh, flicking between all of those channels on Channel 7 there, uh, keeping across the Olympics. He's jumped in on to Rock Me Dead to... Help us cover uh, one of the niche sports at the Olympics, one of the niche sports that we cover here, which is the sport of rugby. Dave, how are you? Look up, mate. I'm great. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. It's a privilege to be here on the on the true home of rugby. Mm. 
Yeah, it's um, <laughs> been an interesting couple of days. As we go to air here, Australia has timed things perfectly. We've finished third in our group and scraped through on points differential, which is a sign of a good, consistent team. That's what you want to do. You don't want to top your group. Yeah. You want to no. come third there with the points differential. Um, Argentina and New Zealand <laughs> have gone ahead of us, as they yeah. seem to do these days. Um, but They are going to have a much harder pathway to the final, you know, because being rugby powerhouses, they kind of put them together at this point. And, yeah. you know, the more teams that they tend to knock out, uh, I think will play better for us. Yeah, I think, um, look, I mean, we're waiting on other results, aren't we? Which is, which is always a good way. To, um, to, to be in a pool, you, want to, you don't want to do things on your own terms. You want to wait to be a mathematical chance uh, to go through the next stage. So we'll wait and see. Yeah, and yeah. I look forward to getting one of those big guys um, early on there. You know, you want to get your Fijis and your South Africans early on in the quarterfinals. There. You don't want to play them in a the final. You want to get them early. Those Ireland and Kenyas, yeah. not interested in playing them in the, um, yeah. in the first round there. And you want to know who your opponents are before you've actually qualified <laughs> to be an opponent. So that's 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 a pretty strategic way of going about it. I think the boys have done well. Yeah. So um, yeah, and look, I just think it's a bit sad too that you know, with Japan being you know such you know, a pensive but also enthusiastic rugby nation, I think it's such a tragedy that they haven't been able to have crowds there. I think you know that's one thing that really goes hand in hand with Rugby Sevens competitions is the fact that it creates such a nice carnival-like atmosphere mm-hmm. where it does, you know, from places like Sydney, the Gold Coast, Batuta, yeah. Hong Kong, uh, you know, London, Abu Dhabi, you know, anywhere where there is a Rugby Sevens competition, you do get, you know, stands full of sunburnt expats, you know, making absolute fools of themselves. Yep. And I just think that sort of thing doesn't happen in Japan. You know, I, I no. think in Japan, they take it more seriously. They do. They're a traditional rugby powerhouse and big supporters of the code. I mean, look, I think it's certainly the Olympics is missing those corporates being in the stadiums, the corporate boxes. Um, speaking of the, the game today, the New Zealand, I'm sure we'll get onto it in a moment, but that started at 11.30am Sydney time, which is just so inconvenient for rugby union's target audience of white collar workers like myself. You know, I have no yeah. idea what the what the organisers were thinking, uh, planning a grudge match, you know, between Australia and New Zealand during peak business hours mm. on a Tuesday. I mean, I yeah. have, I, I'm a white collar worker and I, I just had to catch the highlights. It's um, got to be myself. that, you know, from 1.30 to 5 onwards, just in that, um, that coasting period in the afternoon when all the work's done. Exactly. exactly. As you know, mate, 9 to 12, my outlook is completely booked out. <laughs> I've got no window for sevens. Mm. Yeah, but, you know, there, there was one thing that I did like about it, you know, because I'm a bit of a news junkie, believe it or not. So uh, I did tune into the press conferences around the country from 10 a.m. Of course, you know, the famous one at 11 o'clock, the Sydney one, you know, where things apparently are, are going to shit. But, you know, I think that people are, you know, just a bit, they're just a bit tired of being told what to do. <laughs> but um, I think the timing of it for me as a journalist was great because it gave me a chance to uh, to shake off a bit of the doom and gloom from around the country, even though there was a bit of positive news in Queensland, South Australia, Victoria, Tasmania, the Big T, the ACT and WA. Um, it was a nice way to bring myself back up off the ground yeah. after seeing those poor people in Sydney be dealt another blow. Well, that's right, mate. And I think, you know, that is what these Olympics are all about. And, um, you know, Roy and HG 
did the games. So Roy and HG, the most peaceful period of world history. Nothing happened. Literally nothing happened in 2000 other than just unabashed glory for Australia. No. And, you know, we all thrived in that. Um, but you talk about these 11 a.m. COVID briefings. I mean, we just need to look, turn the turn that channel off and turn on to whatever the whoever the host broadcaster is of the Olympics and just watch the sevens and just engage in hyper-nationalism throughout the next two weeks through the prism of sport. That's all we can do. I think. Yeah, I think they should be looking to possibly extend the Olympic Games to about December, um, you know, just to really give the people from down south something to do all day. Because mm. I think once the Olympics end, the Olympic dream, along with the dream of freedom, will die for, you know, four, four or yeah. five million people down in Sydney. So I think uh, possibly extending it, good policy. Stand it out, bring a few new sports in, you know, drag it out to December, and then yeah. we can all just go back to turning on each other again. That's fine. But just give us a bit more Olympics. I think it should be yeah. nearly until this whole thing's sorted out. You know, it's we can forget this pandemic, climate change, intergenerational yeah. inequity, all that sort of stuff, because we're winning golds in different sports, and um, that's really something that everyone can get behind. And it unites us as a people, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, and we need to go back to yesteryear. I mean, Sydney 2000 was, I mean, we've seen all the montages lately. It was the greatest period in Australia's history. Obviously, a great period for rugby union as well. Mm. I mean, we just won the World Cup in 99. I think it was in the year 2000, it was that greatest ever rugby match when when the All Blacks beat Australia in front of like 110,000 yeah, so they had Stadium um, Australia. So I don't think that is a record that's going to be beaten ever because you know they were able to fit 110,000 people in there because they had the extra stands at the end of the ground just think just thinking about that game now 109,000 people I just get shivers like a, a super spreader event I can't even fathom just major <laughs> events anymore I'm, I'm crowds are going to be strange when we go back to them all we me. had in Tokyo was just that little robot that brings the ball out <laughs> I'm, I'm loving the innovation. That bloke, yeah what's doing with that does he know how to take a knee <laughs> Or is that the next software update? He'll get that, I think, in time in time for the uh, yeah. quarterfinals and semifinals. Okay. Yeah. Uh, train threes, though, like the basketball robot that they got. I wouldn't mind seeing him try and hit a drop goal or something like that. Yeah, just a 30-metre cutout pass left to right. Yep. Just Ricky Stewart in 1994. <laughs> like, try that one on robot. Bet and then Dave Rennie just brings him straight into the Wallaby squad. We play with 14 robots and Michael Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> or 14 Hoopers and one robot. So what are your thoughts on the game today? I mean, uh, the New Zealand... Uh, Australia grudge match. I mean, we we obviously lost. It was a bit of a heartbreaker. I mean, I don't know much how much heartbreak you can feel in a Sevens yeah. game, but it was disappointing because we we looked pretty good there for a yeah, while. It felt like we did. every single New Zealand Australia game I've watched, bar a couple for the last couple of years. Um, optimism, mm. hope, good signs. <laughs> things are building. Things are building nicely. Twelve nil at half time, and then ultimately the full time siren goes and we lost again. Um, so although. There's one thing I do like about these matchups is that with the Kiwis being the best team in the world, they always lift when they play us, mm. you know, because yeah. they know that on, on any day in the Gregorian calendar, we have the ability to beat them even though they're the best. Yeah, I don't think there's many teams that can lay claim to that. Wouldn't have thought. Certainly not the South Koreans who are, are in our pool. Yes. Um, although they are an Asian Games semi-finalist, so I guess... You know, underestimate them at your own peril. Yes. But at least, we took <laughs> yeah, I think that that yeah. was something that certainly cheered me up, knowing that we did a job on um, Asian football powerhouses, South Korea, and and did a real job on them. We yeah. were running in tries for fun, so that might- yeah, they won't be back next Olympics. <laughs> They've lost a lot of face. No, the other thing that cheered me up in the scope of losing to New Zealand was the fact that Great Britain lost as well. That that's always something that I find that cheers me up. When we lose, at least I know yeah. Great Britain's losing as well. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. there's only one thing that's going to cheer me up the most and that's when Britain loses their monarch 
obviously that's going to really cheer me up. But, um, you know, there is nothing better in world sport, I think, for anyone from Americans to Brazilians to Kiwis to Australians to Japanese, Russians, South Africans, Zimbabweans. Everyone loves to see England lose. I think that's the only reason that we actually keep the monarchy is just so we can just be the underdog against them. It just feels better when we get up. Yes. We could become a republic. Yeah. It's just not going to be the same. Yeah. So I just don't think it'll be the same. That's, we don't have that same resonance. Yeah, and the sunk cost of having to remint all of our currency. But, you know, that's... Yeah, that's all the sandstone yeah. re-engravements. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't watch a lot of sevens. Like, I might tune in every six months, 12 months, catch a couple of games here because they're back to back. They're rapid. You know, you can watch a few games. Snackable content, mate. It's, it's really the, it's bite size. You know, yeah. in between TikTok videos, you yeah. can watch a couple of games. Back to that. Um, yeah. But I still kind of had this thing in my head that we're a gold medal chance. Like, we're Australia playing a rugby code. We're a gold medal chance. We can beat everyone. And the fact that the game's only 14 minutes means we're a better chance of beating someone. I, and, and, yeah. and then I just felt yep. disappointed again. I, I wonder if I was really foolish in building up that hope and that optimism ahead of the Olympics this time around. That's never foolish. Never foolish to build up optimism in an Australian rugby. Mm. Even though you will be repeatedly scorned, you still need to keep the hope. Well, it's the hope that keeps us all alive, you know, in these trying times especially. But, you know, we're all old enough to remember a time when gold medals were just you know we were surrounded by them constantly i just i can still feel the ticker tape parade materials falling on me you know going down to celebrate our homecoming olympians after 2000 it's just it's a real real memory and it's still large yeah. in our minds and we've always been a, a sporting powerhouse as a nation um name the sport we've probably dominated it at some point but lately other countries have been catching up i'm not sure if we've been you know, not pouring enough funding into our sport or not enough of GDP is going back into sports funding or what it is, I think dollars will solve it. So yeah. what we need to do, I, I imagine, is just to re-divert as many resources as we can towards sport just because of the the upside it has to our national morale. Yeah, well, I think the high watermark in terms of uh, spending on Australian sport, I think the high watermark on spending on Olympic sport was 2008, I think, when we went over, over to yeah. Beijing and didn't have the best time obviously you know our athletes are used to uh you know being outside and not you know breathing in the equivalent of you know 10 packets of darts and a labrador or whatever the hell it was over in beijing at the time but um <laughs> but yeah look more money is always going to be good I, I think more money for olympic sport too i know that uh friend of the show phil kearns has been doing some absolutely outstanding work in trying to secure the, the livelihoods secure some funding for our olympians because a lot of them do it for fuck all and and this is their oscars night you know this is where you see the work that they've put in and i yeah. think you are right this is money well spent especially considering this country's been absolutely booted in the pants in the past two years like most countries but i think to really get us out of the funk who whoever in christ wins the next election needs to really put a lot of money into developing our sport because as we all know, when the economy was kind of going backwards under Howard, one of the biggest remedies that we had for, you know, bolstering our national identity was the fact that we were world beaters, despite being a yep. giant underpopulated island, you know, down in some back pocket of the world. Absolutely. No, money is the answer. Um, I also think maybe just reconnecting with those past glories i mean i look rugby union for me was was fundamental growing up i mean i used to go up to try on oval in linfield and, and watch subbies rugby and you know these blokes these bloated blokes running around in third grade fourth grade 
Um, you know, these men were my heroes and, you know, we need to, as children, you know, our children, my children, you know, I'm going to be pretty, I, I need, we need to all focus on reconnecting them with, with the grassroots, with sport. Uh, we need them all to be going down to the footy field on Saturday and, you know, strategically positioning themselves to catch, you know, conversions kicked by 35-year-old bank managers <laughs> at Subby's rugby games just to yeah. subtly ingratiate themselves into the play, you know. Maybe someone will see that 20-metre spiral pass back to the touch judge and think, you know, this kid can play. And that's the next Bernie Larkham. And, you know, I think those memories are, are what really, to me, is rugby union. We just need to reconnect with sport generally on a more uh, cerebral and, and fundamental level, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, hopefully the, the, next, <laughs> the next generation can be inspired. We've got the women to come on uh, at the back end of the week. And they, they traditionally, oh, yeah, traditionally right, yeah. do a lot better than the men, um, as we've seen. Well, yeah, the they won the gold medal last, last time. Yeah. They did win gold. They did, which was, you know, selfish of them to inflate our expectations this time <laughs> around. But um, so we do have high expectations. So I think we're highly fancied, mm. much more fancied actually in the in the women's sevens. Actually, we've got a, you know, we've got a good blend of of youth and experience, which which as we all know is the precise formula for success in in team sports and and, and workplaces in general. Um, you know, the the women's pool that we've got is. Well, very geopolitically relevant. I can see that we've got the US, we've got China, we've got Japan. I mean, this, these could be the next key participants of the next Pacific War. So there's a lot at stake here, obviously. I'm just glad that the Russians haven't done too well in this Olympic Games. I actually think, <laughs> did they get banned? So they're, they're, they're participating under like a generic logo that was developed by some bloke in the Philippines on Fiverr.com. <laughs> So they're not even they're not even competing under the traditional Russian logo at these games. Well, just got well, well I I hope that that's how they participate in this upcoming Pacific War. You know, as guns for hire, really, because I think we'd be able to afford some of the best guns um, out of Russia. But you know, in saying that, I, you know, there's there's a lot of money in China, but you know, is it real? Who knows? Russian spirit, arguably yeah. one of the toughest as well. That that love for Mother Russia, you know, whether they're going under the ROC banner, they've still they've still got that that desire, that hunger to represent Mother Russia and to die for Mother Russia. So, would you die for your Australian flag? Oh, um, I'd do an ACL for it. Yeah, I, I'd do a couple of ACLs, come back, do a shoulder for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether whether I would die. Uh, yeah. What about you, Al? Uh, well, look, mate, I'm in Quade Cooper's boat. I don't even have an Australian passport, even though I'm, I'm somewhat naturalised. Mm. As a roundabout answer, uh, Wendell, no. I'm not prepared to <laughs> die for this country. They won't even have me. Mm. So um, for me, like, I might die for a country that, you know, that's maybe like a bit cooler. Like, As in like Che Guevara, you go and disappear for some revolutionary yeah, kind of yeah. cause. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'd die for the tiny island nation of Palau, you know, Kiribati. Um, maybe uh, Wallace at Fortuna, somewhere like that. Yeah. I think I'd die for eight games of live club rugby on a free-to-air TV, but I don't think maybe Maybe a, um, a ladies' day down at a local suburban ground, full crowd. Oh, the smell of the barbecue, 3pm yeah. cans being opened, a good ratio mm -hmm. of men and women, just a lovely yeah. afternoon. Yeah. The young culties would with, die uh, with the tops off and the bow ties on, handing out drinks. The keel getting more and more yeah. feral as the <laughs> as the afternoon descends to the point where people start going, oh, 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 oh yeah. don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Where are we going, boys? Where are we going next? 
So tell us a bit about this podcast of yours, Dave. Have a go. Yeah, the Have A Go podcast. Uh, we're doing a special Olympic series uh, throughout Tokyo 2020. So basically, you know, we're doing daily shows. So putting some daily content out there. It's all the gold medals that you see, all the historic moments that we'll all bear witness to. But we're also throwing in um, some special guests. Uh, we've got some feature uh, episodes based on wonderful historic moments like... Um, yeah, when, when Nick Darcy basically beat the shit out of Simon Cowley uh, on selection yeah. night. Uh, that was that was a wonderful moment for Australia. Uh, there was also the time, of course, when Ian Thorpe just fell in the pool uh, at the trials <laughs> for the 2004 games. So, and then, you know, his position was was dutifully given to him in the, on the plane by, um, by Craig Stevens. And that caused a national uproar at the time. We, we forget these things. Uh, we forget what Australia was like back in 20, uh, 2004. So... Look, mate, it's a massive celebration of the Games. As we said at the top of the show, we need this now more than ever. We need to divert our attention. We're sick of the COVID briefings. We just want to bask ourselves in in pure gold, and, and that's what we're doing for the next two weeks. Yeah, love it. What have been some of the moments so far that you've you've enjoyed? We've had Kayla McEwen come out this morning and say, fuck yeah, which was um, yeah. a good celebration of her gold medal, which I think everyone <laughs> agreed with. Fuck yeah, Kayla, that was good. Yeah, Absolutely. No, that was a great one. Um, obviously, Ariane Titmus winning gold and, and the huge mm. celebration from her coach yesterday, which frightened the absolute shit out of the poor Japanese attendant uh, <laughs> right behind her. I don't think she's ever seen that kind of gross display of raw Australian masculinity. Um, sexually charged, potentially, not sure. But, you know, she, she would never have seen anything like that. And my heart goes out to the poor lady. I mean, that's a top moment for mine. I think, you know, there's there's been so many moments. It's It's difficult to you know, to say a favourite yet. But like all we can hope for is that, you know, we get at least one gold medal per $10 million of taxpayer investment. And I think that's, um, you know, that's what we're hoping for at the Have A Go podcast mostly. Yeah, lovely. We're uh, three from four days so far, I think, aren't we, in terms of gold? So we're on track. A gold a day. Um, keeps the away, Twitter eh? warriors at bay. Yeah, no, we're, um, we're very excited uh, we just anything would be better than Rio. We we absolutely sucked in Rio, and you know heads needed to roll, and they did. And as long as our Olympians come back with at least one gold medal per day, I think we can let them through border security. I think we'll we'll think about it. We'll we'll wait and see how many medals they come back with. But if it's enough, we'll let them back in. I think. But that's how we like to kind of do things in Australia. We like to be very careful about who we let into the country. Well, if we bring back the Premier of Queensland and the Brisbane Lord Mayor, then I guess you know we should bring them all back, shouldn't we? Yeah, while we're at it, yeah, why not? And give Quade Cooper his citizenship as well. (laughs) He can't get the stench of that Steph Rice tweet (laughs) off him. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, hopefully plenty more gold to come over the next couple of of weeks. Thanks very much for stopping in, Dave, giving us a rundown on what's happening in the Olympics and what's happening with the Have A Go podcast. Looking forward to the episodes coming out every single day. And um, I think we'll wrap it up on that note, unless you've got anything else, Daryl Parker. No, mate, I'm all good, mate. Dave's been great to talk to you again. Always like talking to you. Thanks for having us, boys. Love it. Keep it up. Righto, boys. See you later.